Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. This morning, our Torah portion is the first in the third book of the Hebrew Pentateuch, uh, known as Torah. The book is known as Vayikra, Leviticus in English. And my guest and I will chat about what the difference is between the Greek and the Hebrew. It is the uh, introduction in the Torah to the uh, system of sacrifices. Five different kinds of sacrifice are introduced in this first book, in this first chapter of Vayikra. The chapter is a length, the parashah is a lengthy one. It runs from Leviticus 1 to Leviticus 5.26. And the five kinds of sacrifices that are introduced are the olah, or burnt offering, which was a voluntary sacrifice that had a high degree of sanctity and was regarded as the standard offering in the sanctuary. The entire animal, except for its hide, was burned on the altar. The second is the mincha or meal offering, which was a sacrifice made of flour, oil, and salt, and frankincense that was partially burned on the altar and partially given to the high priest and the Levites to eat. The third was the zevach shlamim, or sacrifice of well-being, which was a voluntary animal offering from one's herd, sometimes brought to fulfill a vow. The chatat, or sin offering, was the fourth type. This was an obligatory sacrifice, what was offered to expatiate unintentional sins. The offerings differ from the others in the special treatment of the blood of the animal, which is discussed in Leviticus 4 through Leviticus 5. And the last sacrifice that's introduced in this week's parashah is the asham, or penalty offering, which was an obligatory sacrifice of a ram that was required chiefly of one who had misappropriated a property. As you can tell, the types of sacrifices were quite varied, and the reasons for the sacrifices were quite varied. The text tells us that this is about a breach of trust or a guilt offering or a wellness offering. And it introduces a whole host of important questions about how one relates to God in these kinds of challenging circumstances. With me to discuss Vayikra, which is also the name of the portion, is Rabbi Neil Barovitz, a retired rabbi from New Jersey. And Rabbi Barovitz, welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. 
I want to start right at the beginning. Since this is a new book of the Torah, the Hebrew name is Vayikra. The English is Leviticus. Um, they don't, they aren't equal. They don't mean the same thing. So perhaps you could explain to our listeners this morning uh, why in Hebrew it's called Vayikra and why in English it's called Leviticus. Uh, glad to be with you today. Uh, and Vayikra is the first word of the book of Leviticus, of the third book uh, in the five books of Moses, the third book in the Bible and the Torah. And Torah books uh, in Hebrew are usually known by the first significant word. So the first book is Bereshit, which means in the beginning, and it's the English uh, term, which is derived from the Greek and the Latin, Genesis, uh, conveys the same concept. The second book of the Bible uh, begins uh, with the word, the Elish Shemot. Ela means these, so the first significant word is Shemot, meaning names. And we get the names of the children of Israel uh, who went out, who went down into Egypt as slaves. The third book, Vayikra, begins with this word, Vayikra, which means, and he calls, uh, but it's called Leviticus uh, through the Greek and Roman and into the English because it's uh, really uh, a guidebook, uh, a rule book uh, for the tribe of Levi uh, and uh, the priests that are part of the tribe of Levi on how to do uh, the ritual worship uh, in the sanctuary that was in the wilderness and ultimately uh, in the temple that stood in Jerusalem for about a thousand years. So the, uh, thank you for that. I think it, our listeners should have had no trouble following that. You're suggesting that when the Torah was translated into Greek, they spoke about the content of the entire book, um, the book being about uh, sacrifice and therefore, a, as you said, a guidebook or a uh, primer um, for the priesthood from the tribe of Levi, so Levi to Leviticus. Um, one of the anomalies at the very beginning of the book in Hebrew is that um, when one looks at the Hebrew text, the word Vayikra, which in Hebrew is written uh, Vav Yud Kuf Resh Aleph, the Aleph at the end of the word, whether you read it in the scrolls or in a Hebrew text, is smaller than the rest of the letters. Um, do you have any sense of why that Aleph uh, was uh, written in that way? And it may go to a translation that you alluded to. But nonetheless, what's your understanding? Well, uh, some of us were old enough to remember typewriters. <laughs> yes. Uh, or handwritten uh, documents. We know that sometimes when you would proofread it, you'd find out you left out a letter. And so uh, we used to just sort of insert the small letters. So one of the concepts that the 19th century uh, 
uh, Protestant and Jewish uh, scholars, uh, basically centered in Germany, uh, came up with was that this may have been a scribal error uh, in in the copying of the Torah over the uh, ages. Because every time a Torah scroll is written, it's copied by uh, a sofer, a scribe, from another scroll. So one of the things I can tell you, about 20 years ago, uh, we took a vacation in Italy. And through one of my congregants who was uh, uh, working for the American State Department uh, in the embassy in uh, Italy, I was able to get access to the Vatican Library, which contains one of the largest collections of uh, Jewish of, uh, of, of Jewish handwritten text uh, any place in the world. And one of the things that I was able to see there was a 12th century Torah scroll. And uh, when they were showing it to me, one of the things I did was I rolled it to Leviticus uh, to see if that little uh, outlook was there, and by gosh, it was. Uh, and we know from uh, books but from uh, statements in the Mishnah and the Talmud uh, and in the Midrash, the commenta- the rabbinic commentaries, that uh, this goes back uh, even a thousand years before the scroll that I saw. So I have an uh, interesting uh, personal commentary uh, on this. So your, first, so your first thing for the listeners to understand is that in the course of 2,000 years of copying from scroll to scroll, there might have been a scribal era. And unlike uh, today where we have cell autocorrect on our phones or our computers, there was no autocorrect for the scribe. And so someone might have left out a um, aleph at the end of the Hebrew word and to fit it within the proper context of the written scroll they had to make it smaller correct the spacing would have required a a smaller olive to be added but you alluded to another interpretation that you have more personally yes if you uh assume that maybe there wasn't an olive originally at that uh then the word uh instead of by which means, and he called, uh, the word would be by Yikar, uh, and he was dear. Uh, and it's by Yikra, you know, the, the next, the rest of the phrase is uh, by Yikra or by Yikar el Moshe. So, uh, and God called to Moses, and then Moses then spoke to him out of the tent of meeting. It's the entirety of the uh, first verse in the book of Leviticus. Uh, with my suggestion, uh, it would read, uh, and he was dear to Moses, that God was dear to Moses, uh, and uh, that there was a love relationship there, and therefore, by Zaber, he spoke to Moses from the, uh, from the tabernacle, from the, uh, from the tent of meeting. Uh, and uh, whichever way we look at this, uh, one of the reasons that I came up with this idea was why does God need to call to Moses 
before he speaks to him. Normally, uh, throughout the Bible, we get the uh, introductory phrase to every divine conversation uh, with Moses is Vayidaber Adonai El Moshe. And the God Lord spoke, spoke to, Moses, to Moses. Saying, and then we get whatever the uh, revelation is. Uh, and at the end of the book of Exodus, uh, there's uh, Moses and God have just had this conversation, and Moses is standing right outside the uh, the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. So uh, there's there's an interesting traditional commentary, uh, which uh, says that uh, that. Uh, Actually, it's included in the Reform Movement's Torah, a rabbinic commentary, uh, where uh, Rabbi uh, Bamberger, who was the editor of that, uh, says that uh, according to this Agadah, this, uh, this uh, rabbinic commentary... Right, that, that Agadah time, would be translated for our listeners as lore, L-O-R-E. These are stories that uh, come to offer an explanation of questions that arise from the text um, that the text itself doesn't answer and may not even offer the question, but the rabbis of antiquity found questions like that. Right. So uh, one of the reasons that inspired me to look at this with my, for my own Agadah, my own commentary, was uh, the traditional commentary that says that every time God spoke uh, to Moses, uh, he calls out to him first, Moshe, Moshe, uh, Moses, Moses. Just as we find that God called out to Abraham in the famous story in Genesis 22 of the uh, the binding of Isaac, we hear right before uh, God speaks to, uh, to Abraham, uh, telling him not to sacrifice his son, uh, he calls out, Abraham, Abraham. And Mo- Abraham there answers, he named me, I'm here. Uh, so in this uh, Agadah, in this rabbinic uh, commentary from 18, 1900 years ago, uh, they claim that every time uh, Moses, uh, God spoke to Moses, uh, he called out, Moshe, Moshe, and Moses answers, Hineni. And uh, they base this not only on the Abraham uh, precedent, but also uh, in Exodus uh, 3, at the famous scene of the burning bush, uh, God calls out to Moses, Moshe, Moshe, and uh, Moses, Moses, and Moses answers, Hineni, I'm here. And Hineni really means it's not just that I'm physically present, but that I'm really totally present uh, emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, as well as physically. So, again, for our listeners, let's clarify. The in- you're suggesting that while traditionally in the Torah, the conversation between God and Moses begins with Vayidaber Adonai El Moshe, and God spoke unto Moses. Here in this book of Leviticus Vayikra, 
It begins with Vayikra El Moshe, uh, an introductory phrase um, that is unusual in the relationship between uh, Moses and God. And when you indicated that um, in other examples, Moses was called twice, Moshe, Moshe, are you suggesting that Vayikra El Moshe is simply a shortcut for uh, the two names or that Moses in some way uh, needed to be called to attention, that he wasn't paying attention for this revelation? You know what? It could be either way. Uh, it's, uh, and I think that uh, the lesson uh, we can learn, the lessons, the multiple lessons we can learn, uh, is that the fundamental relationship between God and every human being, not just our great teachers uh, and, uh, and leaders, uh, is supposed to be one of love. That's why the central prayer in Judaism, uh, Hero Israel, Adonai is uh, your God, Adonai alone, uh, found in Deuteronomy 6, continues with the word, Ve'ahafta eit Adonai Elohecha, and you shall love uh, Adonai your God with all your heart, soul, and might. So it's about love. Going back to the Hebrew and seeing it as Vayikar, my beloved. Correct. Right? You are my beloved. Uh, That's right. We're, uh, that our relationship is uh, with God is one of love. And by the way, if uh, every human being is created in the image of God, which is a central uh, teaching of Judaism that comes to us uh, from the very beginning of Genesis, uh, then we have to realize uh, that our relationship with each other should be one of love. Uh, and probably uh, as we recognize uh, in this time of the coronavirus uh, that we're all in it together. Uh, I feel uh, very strongly this week that uh, we have to emphasize the fact that uh What's in, what God's intention uh, is for us to uh, not only to demonstrate our love for God by uh, truly loving each other and, and reaching out to each other uh, in love uh, to help and to say, as Moses does uh, at the burning bush, and as I'm suggesting uh, as an alternative to Vayikar, to reading why he had to vayikra, why uh, God needed to call out to Moses, was so that Moses could answer, Hineni, I'm here for you. And maybe that's the uh, most important thing for us to think about uh, in, uh, in the world uh, today, that uh, we got to be present for each other uh, and, uh, and truly... And ironically, being present for each other in this age of corona crisis means uh, staying six feet away from uh, other people. But we can still be present. We can still reach out 
uh, and through uh, uh, social media, through technology, through phone calls, uh, you know, keep in touch with uh, with neighbors and loved ones. So I, I, I certainly um, resonate, and I'm sure our listeners resonate with that powerful message about uh, God and Moses having a very personal, intimate relationship. And I want you to take that notion of God and Moses as uh, vayikar, as beloved, as uh, close to each other, and help us make the transition to what will take place in the text for the next four chapters. And that is that um, we are introduced to what appears to be the very ancient uh, sacrificial cult, um, and that the sacrificial cult is certainly um, not seen by many people as fitting with a sense of uh, today's notion of spirit and connectedness to the divine. It seems the antithesis of that. So given how you've introduced the parasha, what's the connection between how you brilliantly and lovingly read the beginning, the first verse, and that which follows, the sacrificial cult? Uh, which has great specificity about um, what you do with your animals and all of those other notions of sacrifice. So, the word for sacrifice, that's translated sacrifice uh, from the Greek and, Rome, and, and Latin into the English, the Hebrew term is korban. Uh, which has uh, a Hebrew root, uh, three Hebrew letters, uh, kuf, resh, bet. Let me just clarify for our listeners. You may remember that on numerous broadcasts, we've reminded you that ancient Hebrew and modern Hebrew words are composed of three root letters, and then prefixes and suffixes are added to indicate uh, number, gender, and case. So the rabbi is reminding us that um, the Hebrew word for sacrifice is korban, and that the root of that is uh, three Hebrew letters, a kuf, a resh, and a bet, um, and the nun, the final nun, nun so feet, is um, a uh, suffix added to um, what is normally a verb uh, to make a, a noun. Okay, I hope that's clear to the listeners, but you want to continue to tell us about the meaning of the root, kufresh bet. So kufresh bet means uh, bringing close. So uh, what are we doing uh the ancient Israelites, uh, what were sacrificing the best of their flocks or their grains uh, or their birds, whatever whatever uh, they had uh, that they produced through their work uh, to God uh, as a way of feeling close. Prayer worship 
uh, which was introduced into Judaism uh, 2,000 years ago, uh, probably uh, right before, uh, uh, right around the time of the Hanukkah story. Uh, so it's right before the birth of Christianity and where Christianity and rabbinic Judaism uh, split off from biblical religion. Uh, and they begin to uh, have the idea of having prayer come as a replacement uh, for the sacrifice. Uh, so in Jewish worship, uh, the, the central prayer in Judaism is seen uh, as the replacement for the sacrifices offered in the temple. In uh, Christian churches, in particular in Roman Catholic churches, uh, the uh, the wafer uh, uh, and the wine are uh, seen as uh, symbolic of uh, the body and blood of Jesus, who is understood in Christianity as the ultimate sacrifice. So, uh, so sacrifice is really connected with the idea of, I'm willing to give up something so that I can feel close to God. So we understand that in English. When we use the word, I want to make a sacrifice, we certainly understand that we're intended to give something up. Um, But in the Torah, the notion of korbanot, of offerings, so that's the way the text would understand it. These offerings are meant to bring us closer to God because that which we have to offer is dearest to us. Like the Hebrew word that you offered at the beginning of the parashah, uh, you know, uh, yikar, which would mean that uh, God and Moses were dear to each other, that which the uh, sacrificer, those who brought the offering to the temple, were offering something that was dear, their crops, their uh, produce, that which was part of their herd, um, even on occasion, that which they had to buy to make the offering. And so you're suggesting that this entire book of Leviticus it should be understood not simply by the laws of how to make the offering, but that the offerings themselves were a reflection of the ancients' notion of how they could be close to their deity. And over the course of time, as you just suggested, that changed and that morphed. Uh, the rabbinic understanding was different than the biblical understanding. And of course, as Christianity emerged out of Judaism, it too uh, changed the notion of how one could become close to God. That's very helpful. Uh, Rabbi Borowitz, I want to really thank you for those insights this morning and for helping us at a very challenging time when so many are um, self-quarantined or find themselves in challenging economic situations, you've indicated that the book of Vayikra, rather than pushing us aside from the deity, offers us an opportunity to get closer to God. 
for Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I want to thank my guest, Rabbi Neil Borowitz. Uh, you can find a recording of this on the chri.ca website as a podcast or on iTunes. For those who are listening live or for those who are listening on a podcast, I wish you shalom and good health and have a good day. Behold.